nice to see you this morning. We're finishing up our series on building better relationships, and we're going to conclude today by talking about how to become a more loving person. You would think love is obvious. You have to have love if you're going to have good relationships. But the truth is, a lot of people don't really know what love is. In 1 John 4, 7 and 8, and verse 21, it says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. My question is, what is love? We hear so many different things. I can say, I love my wife. But then I can turn around and say, I love pizza. Now, there's a big difference there. You know, I can say, I love America. What does that mean? Is it all the same thing? Loving my wife, is that the same as loving America? Is that the same as loving pizza? We use that word love for so many different things that it dilutes the real meaning of what it's all about. So what is love? I want to first start with some misconceptions. One is, you can fill in the blanks on your notes, love is a feeling. People think that. People believe that love is a feeling, and it's not. We think it's this ocean of emotion that I have. Now, love can cause feelings. Love has the ability to produce feelings within us. But love is not a feeling. A lot of times people confuse lust with love as two separate things. Also, we have this other misconception. Love is uncontrollable. I can't control it. I fell in love. I fell down. I can't help it. I fell in love. I had no control. I can't help it. I'm in love with you, or I'm in love with him, or I'm in love with her. And we think it's something that you have no control over. Or, or I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. As if it's something out of my control. I can't help it. I can't help it. I just don't love them anymore. Those statements show a misunderstanding of what the word love really means. So what does the word love mean? Let's look at two things it does mean. One is love is a choice. Love is a choice. In Colossians 3.14, it says, And over all uh, virtues, put on love which binds them all together. It's telling you to take love and put it on, like putting on a coat or something, which means it's something you have the ability to do. Okay, it's a choice. I can choose to love that person or I can choose not to. It's something I can be committed to or something I can ignore. But love has, it no, it no longer has anything to do with how I feel that I can choose to love you in spite of the way I feel. I can choose to love you in spite of what you do to me. You might do things that make me feel hurt and angry at what you do, and still I can choose to love you, even though I feel hurt. Even though I feel angry, I make it a choice. I feel angry, but I'm choosing to love this person. So it's totally in your control. You get to pick who you choose to love and who you don't love. You can't blame it on your feelings because they're two different things. You have feelings, but love is something that you choose to do. And you know it's love is a conduct. It's an action, something you do. It's more than a feeling. It's more than just words. Look at 1 John 3, 18. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. 
Circle the word actions. This verse isn't saying that you don't tell people that you love them. You do. You tell people that you love them. But it was saying it's more than that. It's a behavior. It's the way you treat people. If love were just a feeling, could God command you to love somebody? I command you to have this feeling. No. See, you can't force a feeling. You can't force yourself to feel a certain way if you don't. So love can't be based on your feelings at all. If it's a command, it's based on something that you can do. And you can love people. You can show people love no matter how you feel. Today I want us to look at how do you love someone that you don't like. Because sometimes I feel like I don't like that person. But I know the Bible says to love people. You know, do I really need to love them? Can't I just ignore them? Our lives are full of people that we don't like sometimes. Sometimes you don't like the way somebody acts. You don't like the way somebody dresses. You don't like the way somebody talks. You know, there's a lot of things about people that sometimes you don't like. You don't like the way they do things. In the past, Winston Churchill and Lady Astor in England, Great Britain, they would have fights with each other in politics. In politics. And one day Lady Astor said, If I were your wife, I'd put arsenic in your beer. And Churchill said, If you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> Let's face it, sometimes there's people that you don't like. Sometimes there's people that you just don't get along with. But the Bible says to love the unlovely. How do I love those people? I don't even like them. I don't like the way they act. I don't like the way they treat me. I don't like the way I see them treating other people, and I'm supposed to love them? How? So how to love someone you don't like? Number one in your notes, experience God's love yourself. That's the first thing you have to do. I'm not going to be able to love you if I haven't experienced God's love. Because God loves me when I'm unlikable. I've got to be able to receive that type of love before I can learn how to give it out. There's no time that God doesn't love me. Even on my bad days, even on my ugly days, God loves me. God loves you. And don't you have bad days? Don't you have ugly days? Don't you have days that other people see the way that you're acting and they probably don't like you that day? And yet God still loves you? So if I've learned to receive God's love even on the days I don't deserve it, that humbles my heart. Wow. Even with the stupid things I do and God so loves me, who am I not to love you? But if you've never received it, and if you feel that you're unlovable, it's easy not to love others because it's a reflection of what you feel about yourself. You feel like you're unlovable, so I don't like them either. But when you feel loved, you really feel it. Not just know it. It starts with knowing it. But when you know it and then you start feeling it, it's easier to love other people. Look at Ephesians three seventeen and 18. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart, living within you as you trust him. May your roots go deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, and may you be able to feel and understand how long 
wide, deep and high his love really is. And experience this love for yourselves. Circle the word feel and circle the word understand. God wants you to understand, okay, God really loves me no matter what I've done. Even on the days I don't deserve it, he loves me. Understand it. But he wants you to feel it. He wants you to feel it. But it starts up here. It starts by believing it. And that's the beginning step to starting to feel it. Like, oh, I, I believe it now. I'm starting to believe, because I believe it, I feel it. And now it's easy for me to love you when you don't deserve it. Because I feel loved when I don't deserve it. But I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. If you don't feel loved on the days that you really don't deserve it, you won't love people on the days that they don't deserve it. You won't. You'll treat them exactly how you feel. If you feel disgusted by yourself when you do certain things, you're going to be a finger pointer at everybody else when they do the same thing. It makes you a judgmental person. But when you understand God's love for you, you don't judge others. Because you know I've blown it and God's forgiven me. Who am I to judge you? Christianity should be the least judgmental place that you could ever be involved in. The least judgmental. Does that mean that we don't address right and wrong? No, I'm not saying that. You still have to address this is a healthy way to live. This is an unhealthy way to live. You just don't judge people when they're living unhealthy. But you want to expose them to the truth. It's two different things. Expose to the truth so they know, but you don't judge them. Why don't you not judge them? Because everybody in this room lives unhealthy at times. So if we condemn them, we're condemning ourselves. If God forgives me, can't I forgive them? So you expose the mind to the truth, but you don't judge the people. Number two, forgive others who've hurt you. If I really want to love people, I've got to forgive others that have hurt me. If I'm holding on to bitterness, I can't love people. I've got to let that go. Look at Colossians 3.13. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God forgave me. The Bible says that God loves me so much that God himself came to earth as a man, Jesus Christ. You know the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. God himself comes to earth as a man. He loves me so much that he took all the penalty of my sins, your sins, put it upon himself and died on the cross saying, I paid off the penalty. No matter what you've done, it's been paid off. That's forgiveness. It's nothing I earned. I was never good enough to reach God. He was good enough to reach me. Praise God for that. That's why we put our faith in him and not in ourselves. We don't go around saying, look at how good I am. We say, wow, praise God. Look at how good he is. In spite of myself, he still loves me. In spite of myself, he forgives me. In spite of myself, he took on the penalty so that the penalty's paid. God says, I paid that penalty. I paid that penalty. I paid that penalty. You're free. You're forgiven. Praise God. What a loving God we have. If he can forgive me, I can forgive you. If I don't let go of those things in the past, I can't be loving in my present situation, in my present relationships. If I'm carrying resentment from things that happened in my childhood, that resentment goes in to my marriage. Why? 
because I'm hurt and I'm touchy. I'm hurt and I'm touchy about this. I'm hurt and I'm touchy about that. So it keeps exploding in my marriage or it keeps exploding with my kids. Why? I haven't forgiven about the things in the past. This is tough. Let me tell you why. One out of every three women have been abused. One out of every seven men have been abused in bad ways. When you think about that, it's tough to forgive. How can I forgive that abuser? How can I forgive them? You know how you can do it? You have to realize when you forgive them, you're not letting them off the hook. You're letting yourself off the hook. Forgiving them doesn't mean you trust them. Trust is something they have to earn. Forgiving them means, okay, what they did to me, shame on them. Me keeping it, shame on me. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive them and let God deal with them. I just forgive them, God. I know what they did to me was wrong, but I want to have a bright future. So, God, I'm just forgiving them for what they did, and I'm going to walk into the future and let it go. And then later on, it comes back into your mind. And you think, well, I thought I forgave them. You do it all over again. God, I forgive them. You know, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to hold a grudge against them anymore. That's between you and them now, God. You take care of them if you want to, but I'm letting it go, and I'm getting my... And then the feelings come back again. And you say, God, I forgive them again. It's a process. It's like paying a car payment. You pay it off, and you're, whew, that's over, and then the bill comes again a month later. Now you pay it off, and another... But eventually, the bills stop coming. Eventually, it stops coming. So it's a process. But I guarantee you this. If you don't deal with your past, it will affect your future. It will ruin your future relationships. But if you forgive and let go of the past, that's on them now. God will deal with that. I'm going to get on to my future. I'm not going to let that ruin who I am. You can have healthy relationships. Everybody in this room has the ability to have healthy relationships. If you forgive. If you forgive and let go. A lot of times we ruin the relationship we're in because of the hurts that have happened previously in our life. That's a shame. Because maybe God was trying to bless you with something wonderful. But you couldn't receive God's blessing because you can't let go of the pain and the hurt from your past. Jesus said, love others as I have loved you. He loves me even though I mess up. I need to forgive you and love you even though you mess up. Even though you mess up. Everybody's going to mess up. Number three, think loving thoughts. Think loving thoughts. The Bible talks a lot about the renewing of your mind. It's changing the way that you think. And that's going to change the way that you start acting. And then that's going to change the way you start feeling. Look at Philippians 2, 4, and 5. Think loving thoughts. Philippians 2, 4, and 5. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and in what they are doing. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ. If God's going to teach you real love, he's not going to surround you with everybody that just loves you in a perfect way. You would think so. You would think, I want to learn how to have real love, so I want to be surrounded by all these people that only show me real love. 
It doesn't really work that way. That doesn't teach you. You know what teaches you what real love is? When he puts people in your life that are very unloving. Because it's easy for me to love you when you love me, right? But when you have somebody that's very unloving and you say, oh, I've got to show love to that person, that's when you would learn what real love is. Real love is loving that person. Real love is being nice to the person that's not nice. It's not being rude to the person who is rude. It's not being angry at the person who is angry. It has nothing to do with the circumstances that are coming at me. It has to do with my own character now. If you're nice to me and I'm nice back, that just shows a response to who you are. If you're mean to me and I'm mean back, that just shows a response to who you are, but it also reveals my character. But if I'm nice to you and you're nice to me, and this person's mean to me and I'm nice to them, now it shows what kind of person I am. It has nothing to do with this person. It's who I am. I'm characterized as being a nice person or being a loving person. When you're loving somebody that's bad to you, but when you're loving somebody that's good to you, you can find the worst criminal in the world. They'll be nice to somebody that's nice to them, but they might kill you if you look at them wrong. So what does that show? I'm no better than them if I can't love my enemies. It's about who you are. Do I give the control of my life over to other people? Or have I made a choice to be a loving person? So I have to have loving thoughts. It starts with the mind changing the way I, I think. Then it comes out in the way that I feel. Here's my prayer for Church of the Beach Cities. I want us to be the most loving church that you can imagine. Now, when people are hurt, they tend to hurt others. They feel hurt, so they tend to lash out at other people. I want us to be a church for the hurting. What does that mean? If we're really a church for the hurting, what does that mean? We're going to be having people come in here that lash out. If we're the church for the hurting, if we really care about people, if we're the church for the hurting, that means it's like a hospital and there's going to be people in here that are really sick. They've really got baggage from the past. And you know what that creates? Problems. Problems. Guaranteed problems. Because they're going to lash out sometimes. Why? Because hurt people hurt other people. A loving church isn't a church that's filled with good, happy people. You want those people too, right? You know, but a loving church is someone that's not just filled with good, happy people, but a loving church is a church that reaches out to the people that are still hurting, that will still try to hurt you. And through love, they become good, happy people. They become mature in their faith, which is seen in their attitude and lifestyle. So we don't want to have the attitude like, oh, we don't want somebody like that in our church. Look at the way they act. No, that's exactly what we want. We want someone that's hurt to get healed. Just like physical healing. If someone's physically hurt, we want them to get physically healed. A lot of people are emotionally hurt. We want them to get emotionally healed. They're not going to get there without love, without the support of others. So we have to change the way that we think. 
We have to think loving thoughts, which helps us to see their pain, their hurt, instead of seeing their rudeness. Why are they rude? I wonder what's happening in their life. I'll give you an example. I was famous this week. I don't know. Anybody see me on TV this week? I was on three different stations. Yeah. Yeah. Super famous. Um, I'm a television celebrity now. We got robbed. Our home. Yeah. What happened was uh, these young people just robbed the house and everything. We had nothing in there for them to steal. But they must have been really disappointed. Uh, but they broke down the door and they broke the glass of the window to get in. So the biggest, cost, the biggest loss was the 600 No, it was, ended up being $500 to repair the door and the window and everything. Everything else was uh, not much of a loss. But I was talking to a lady, because they, they know, have a picture of who these people are and stuff like that, and I was talking to a lady that knew a little bit about them. And she said something. There are a group of kids that have been in foster care. When you turn 18 in foster care, you know what they do? They let you go. Wow. You're 18 years old. You don't have any parents. In foster care, boom. Do you think that kid's going to go to college? No. A lot of them don't have jobs. You're, you're done with the system. You turn 18. You're on your own now. It's like crazy. It's crazy. What I'm trying to say is hurt people hurt people. Is it an excuse? Is it a way for us to say, well, it's okay if they hurt people? No. It's not an excuse. But come on, we have to have compassion. We have to have sympathy for people. We have to look at that and say, hmm, there's a problem. I'm not angry at them. You know, I realize that the system is broken. I realize that what they did is wrong, even though their situation is bad. But I would rather have us as Christians fail on the side of being too loving than being too much into the rules. Too many Christians follow the rules. Doesn't that sound like the Pharisees? The rules, the rules, the rules. They know the letter of the law. They don't know the spirit behind it. The letter of the law says, do not steal. Do I agree with that 100%? But there's a spirit behind what's going on. When foster care and they let them go and they're on the streets now and they don't know what to do. And it's almost setting them up for a life of crime. There's a spirit that's bad. There's a system that's bad. Do I condone what they do? No, I don't condone it. But I love them. I care about them. I want to help them. I don't think the solution's probably going to be, oh, I know how to take these youth and straighten them out. Let's just stick them all in jail. That's probably going to teach them, that's going to surround them with other criminals and teach them how to really be a criminal now. But they need help. They need help. I'm not saying that jail is always the wrong choice. I'm not saying that. But I think Christians need to be known for having a heart. See, Christians are known for what they're against. That's bad. We're against this. We're against this. We're against this. We're against this. Very few Christians are known what they're for. When was the last time someone interviewed somebody and said, when you hear the word Christian, what do you think of? And they said, oh, those are the most loving people. A lot of times that's not what they think. Now, if they're in a church, they probably know that. If they're in a church. I'm talking about people that don't go. All they see is the media. And they think, oh, yeah, they're against this. They're against that. They probably think, first thing that comes to their mind, because if you see some of the people that advertise, 
They hate homosexuals. That's probably the very first thing that they would think if they're outside of a church. They don't know that we love people. We have to change our approach. We have to care about the people, even when they're doing wrong. Number four, begin acting in a loving way. Even though I don't feel it, I need to act loving. I heard someone say, isn't that being hypocritical? You're acting loving, but you don't really love them. You don't really love me. You're just acting that way. That's not what a hypocrite is. You know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is someone that does the opposite of what they believe, not the opposite of what they feel. For example, I believe I'm supposed to love my wife, but she said something rude to me, so I feel like being rude back. Who's the hypocrite? The one that says, I believe I'm supposed to love her, but I treat her rude back? That's the hypocrite. I'm doing the opposite of what I believe. Doing the opposite of what I feel I feel like being rude back, but I believe I'm supposed to love her, so I'm going to love her anyway. That's not being a hypocrite. Remember, hypocrisy is going against the way you believe. And to follow your beliefs, you're going to have to constantly go against what you feel. Someone hits you. Turn the other cheek is what I believe. Do you feel like turning the other cheek? No, never. Unless you like abuse. But does anybody, oh, I love turning the, no, nobody loves turning the other cheek. I have to do the opposite of what I feel to do what I believe. That's why a society that bases what they want to do on their feelings is going to be a society that goes in the wrong direction. You want to base your decisions on what you believe is right, even when you don't feel it. Because sometimes you don't feel it. It's easier to put into action what I believe. And then when you're doing it, the feelings come. Like, let's say that your marriage has gotten to a point where you're more like strangers. You've lost your intimacy. You know, there's problems there. How do you get it back? Well, it's easier to put into action what I believe. I believe I'm supposed to love my wife. So I start putting into action what I believe And when you start loving on your wife, what is love? Love is patient. So I choose to be patient. Love is kind. It's not rude. It's not easily angered. So I start loving her. Do you know what happens? It's easier for the feelings to come. But what's hard is to wait for the feelings to come first before you do the actions. Guaranteed failure. If you're losing that relationship with your spouse... Guaranteed failure. I'm going to wait till I feel it before I respond. Guaranteed end of the relationship. Guaranteed. Or you could say, I'm going to do what I believe. I believe I'm supposed to love her. So I'm going to start loving her. And I'll tell you what, the feelings will come. There's a reason why you fell in love to begin with. There's some sort of chemistry there. There's something about one another that you like. Or else you would have never gotten to the point of marriage. I know you would have never gotten there. There There's something that you had. So what you do is, I'm going to treat that person and love that person, and the feelings will come. The feelings will come back. In Luke 6, 27 to 28, it says, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. He gives us four specific positive actions 
to how to handle people when they're not loving you. It's being assertive. You're choosing to do things in spite of what they've done. One, it says love them, love your enemies. How do you love an enemy? You really have to overlook their faults. In Ephesians, it says, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other because of your love. It says do good. Do good to those who do bad to you. How? Try to find ways to help them. Be positive. Find ways to give. You know, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So I want to love and give. What do you do with a person who you're having a hard time getting along with? Jesus once said, go that second mile. They ask you to go one mile, go two. Offer practical help. Do them a favor. Husbands, go home and wash the dishes and clean the house. You might shock your wife when she wakes up from the faint. Uh, wives, think of ways that you can just do something to bless your husband. Just surprise him and bless him. And you say, well, we've been having a hard time. I don't feel like blessing him right now. That's the whole point. The whole point is to save the marriage. The whole point is, I don't feel like blessing him. That's, all the, re- that's the reason I'm going to do it. That's the whole point, is I'm being assertive. I've decided I'm going to cut this corner, turn this corner, and get things going in the right direction. The woman's thinking that. The man's thinking that. It really usually takes one person to initiate it. And most of the time, it starts down the right road after that. Not always. Third, bless those who curse you. Speak positive is what it means. They might be negative, but you speak positive. You build them up even though they, they want to tear you down. In other words, don't get in a criticism match with them. If they're that way, that's on them. I'm going to build them up. I'm going to refuse to retaliate with my words. Number four, pray for those who mistreat you. It's hard to remain angry with somebody if you're praying for them. So if whoever it is in your life that you're upset with, if you're praying for them and praying that God blesses their life, it's hard to be angry at them. So in your marriage, in your relationships, pray for those people. I'm upset with them. Pray, God. I pray that you bless them. I pray that you do good things in their life. It's hard to stay angry. Do you remember the story of Job? He lost his family. He lost all of his wealth. He was sick. The funny thing is, not that it's funny, but it's funny. The only person he didn't lose was his wife who was nagging him. And he had three friends who were telling him, the reason this bad stuff happened to you is you must have offended God. Because a loving God would not allow anything bad to happen to a good person. So it must be your fault. Now, we know that it rains on good people and bad people. And the sun shines on good people and bad people. But they were telling him, and I've heard even Christians say uh, things like this that are very bad. It's not biblical at all what they're saying, but that happened to you because you must have sinned or something. You must have done something to offend God. No, no, but I've heard people say crazy things like this. So 
These people are very critical of Job. It's a bad situation there. And at the end of Job, he gets healed. And everything gets restored. And he gets wealth back. And the end of his life is more amazingly good than the beginning. And I already said at the beginning he was the wealthiest man in the world when he lost everything. He said the end of the life is better. But if you notice, God didn't heal him when he prayed for healing. If you read the story, God said, pray for these three clowns that have been saying this awful stuff to you. You know, and I'm going to forgive them. Pray for them. And then he prayed for those three people and God healed them. Isn't that interesting? God didn't heal Job when he prayed for himself. And he was the one that was in misery. God healed Job when he forgave the other three for their mean things that they were saying about him as a person. That's when he forgave them. Because when he was praying for them, you can't pray for them unless you forgive them in your heart. If it's a sincere prayer, the power of forgiveness. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. That kind of love never fails. There's 15 actions there. Things that you do. Because love isn't something you feel, it's something you do. So, how do I love my wife when I don't feel it? Be kind to her. Be patient with her. Don't be envious, don't boast, don't be proud, don't be rude, don't be self-seeking, don't be easily angered. These are actions that you take. Or they're actions that you refrain from. Getting angry would be the action. I'm going to refrain from getting angry. It's about your actions. That's what love is. That's why love's not a feeling. But if you treat somebody like that, it's going to change your feelings. And it's going to change her feelings. If me and my wife are having problems, and I'm treating her with patience and kindness and love and these, you know, in, not being envious, doing these things, it's going to change her feeling toward me. Wow, he's patient with me. Wow, he's not easily angered. Wow, he's being kind to me. It's not just going to change how I feel toward her by me acting it out. It's going to change the way that she feels toward me. Number five, expect the best from them. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, If you love someone, you will always believe in him and always expect the best of him. Underline, expect the best. See, we expect the worst too many times. And we say, Man, you're so lazy, as if that's going to motivate them to change. No, it doesn't motivate them. It makes them want to fight against you. How can you be so stupid, as if that's going to motivate them to be a better person? No, that's not going to make them a better person. That's going to make them want to resist against you. That's going to hurt them. If it's a child, they might believe it, and it's going to hinder them. You know, you want to expect the best. Believe in your kids. Tell, you know, expect the best out of your kids. Constantly tell them how good you expect them to be. One thing I do in coaching all the time is we don't always have the best teams as far as talent goes and athleticism, but our wrestlers, at least they believe the coach thinks that they're the best. 
because I tell them all the time, man, this is the best team. Wow, you guys are awesome. And I constantly feed their, I don't, I'm not a coach that tells them, you guys are doing lousy, don't you want to win? No, I just say, man, you are awesome. Keep going and you're going to win. And really, the truth is, you'd have to be there to understand what I'm saying. We don't have the best technique in the room. We don't have the best athletes. We don't. If you see them, you're going to say, what? These are the guys, and we win CIF. And last three years, we finished in the top two. We won twice and took second once. And somehow, I get coach of the year. Every year, I'm coach of the year in the, in the newspaper, in the, in the Daily Breeze. But I'm telling you, sports have so much to do with the attitude. If our guys go out there and they think, maybe it's brainwashing, I don't know, but they think they're going to win, somehow they win. The other team, a lot of times, are better, better athletes, but somehow we pull it off. I'm telling you, so much of it's mental. So much of it's mental. So how do I rekindle a lost love? You know, I've lost that love. Maybe in a marriage, I've lost that love. How How do I do that? How do I get that love to come back? Well, God speaks to the church of Ephesus when they lost their first love. And here's what he said in Revelation. You have lost your first love. Remember how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You've lost your first love. First of all, remember what you've done. That, uh, remember how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Remember how fa- far you've fallen. At one time in our relationship, we were in love. Now we're over here. What happened? Why is there a distance there? Remember. Why did it say remember? Because God says, you want to get that love back? Start remembering the good old days. Remember that first kiss. Remember that first date. Remember how the first time you held hands, you haven't even kissed each other yet, and you held hands and you were like wild about each other. Remember all those good old days. Because you see how far you've fallen, but your mind is remembering those days. Have you ever been alone with your wife and you're talking about the good old days and it just makes you have a love for each other because of the experience you had? Remember when we did this? Oh, yeah, that was so funny. Remember that trip over here? There's something about reminiscing about the past good times that can bring those loving feelings back in. Remember that, the first baby, the first house, the first date. He says, repent. The word repent means change your mind. You know, so I'm going to change my mind about God, about myself, about other people, about the world. It's a radical redirection. Choose to think in a new way. See, people think the word repent means change your actions. Okay, It technically means change your mind. Why does it say that? Because when you change your mind, the heart and the action will follow. But some people can obey the rules temporarily and not change the way they think about the rules, not think of the way they feel about the rules. That's why people can obey the rules and actually have a heart far from God. He wants your mind and heart first. So repent means it starts with it's changing your mind, changing the way you think about the relationship. So instead of fantasizing about, oh, I wish I would have married that dentist I was dating instead of this clown, that's changing your mind in the wrong way. Those are the things that you want to change your mind from, which means repent. I don't want to think of that way. I want to change the way I'm thinking. What are we thinking? 
this marriage is doomed, you've got to change the way you think. It's not doomed. It's not doomed. God's bigger than this. You have to change the way you think about it. You know why? If you really feel like it's doomed, you won't try. If you won't try, guaranteed failure. But if you believe a God that's big enough to turn things around, you'll, you'll okay, I can try. I can change my mind. I can believe that God's big enough to turn this around. I'm willing to remember the good old days. We were in love. I'm, remember to, I'm willing to change my mind. We can make it, even though I don't see how. I don't see how it's possible, but we can make it. I choose to believe that God's bigger than my problem. Then it says, do the things you did at first. In other words, when you fell in love with each other, you were doing things. You like being with each other. People don't just get married. They, they, they like being with each other first. Then what happens is you get married, and he's focusing on his job, and then the kids come, you're focusing here, and you can drift apart. There's a lot of things that can happen. Saying, do what you did at first. What did you do at first? Oh, yeah, we used to go out every Friday night and eat and go to a movie, and we did this and that, and we used to have so much fun together. Do it again. Do it again. Put back into action what you used to do. Why is this? Because we feel like the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And it's not. Do you know where the grass is greener? It's where you water it. I have the ability to water my own grass if I want to. We used to live over in Gardena. And our yard had a lot of brown spots. But I had a neighbor that had a great green grass. Really. Tells you what kind of person I was, huh? We had a lot of brown spots. Their grass was perfect. I could say, wow. If only I lived in their house, I'd be set. <laughs> Believe me, it wasn't the house. It was me. I was the problem. And that's what people do. Boy, the relationship here is kind of brown. If I had a relationship over there, you know what would happen? You're taking you with you. Which means that's going to be the brown grass now. The problem isn't the grass is green over there. The problem is me. I can water my grass. I can take care of my own. I can water my own relationship if I want to. I can choose to do that and turn the relationship around. I've seen marriages that are dead be restored in ways that they never expected. But it's hard work. It's you've got to do what you have to do. You've got to water the grass. It doesn't just like by a miracle of God, wow, all of a sudden they love each other again. No. They put into action these things. So I want to challenge you to do two things. Two things that are going to help you be successful. Number one, commit your life to Christ. What does that mean, commit my life to Christ? You're saying, God, okay, I'm going to do it your way. I'm tired of doing it my way. It doesn't work. Come on. If your way worked, okay, and you're in this problem, how many years have you been doing it your way? 30, 40, 50, 60, right? If it worked, it would already be worked by now. Okay, if it's not working, do it God's way. Do it God's way. Okay, God, I, com I commit myself to you. I'm going to start doing it your way. I'm going to love people the way you want me to love them. I'm going to forgive people the way you want me to forgive them. I'm going to change my thoughts to positive thoughts. I'm going to live your way. I'm tired of living the way I do. I'm going to live the way that you've called me to do. And then second, if you're in a relationship and, and the relationship is struggling... Commit to that relationship. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. Get this out of your mind. You're not going to say, 
you know, we're struggling. So if this doesn't turn around in the next six months, I'm out. No, that's not a commitment. You commit. You say, you know what? I'm committed to making this thing work. I want the love back. I'm committed to making it happen. Because it's only through commitment that you get change. It's only through commitment that it can happen. If you don't make a commitment to the relationship, it's already doomed. It's already doomed. She said, I'm committed to it. You know, I'm going to make this. It doesn't have to be a marriage relationship. It could be a friendship that you've had. Like you've been a friend with this person for eight years and now something went wrong. And you're not the friend. And then commit to it. I'm making a commitment. I'm going to make that relationship work. I'm going to do everything on my part to make it work. I'm going to treat them the way Jesus would want me to treat them. I'm going to do everything on my part to make it work. You can't make somebody else change. But you can change. You can do everything that you have the ability to do to make a difference. So with that, let's pray. Dear God, we ask that you help us experience your love so that we'll have the ability to love others. Lord, help us to forgive other people so we can let it go. Because we know that without forgiveness, if we carry resentment, it's going to affect our relationship with our kids, with our current relationships. Lord, we don't want to ruin the relationships we're in. Lord, help us to think differently about the people that we're with, to love them in spite of their wrongs, just like you love us in spite of the fact that we mess up. Lord, help us to realize love is an action. It's something I do. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be patient. Even when I don't feel it, I choose to be that type of person. Lord, we thank you for your love. We're making a commitment, Lord, today. We're saying, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. God, I'm committed to you. I'm going to trust you. My way doesn't work. I'm making a commitment to treat people the way that you want me to treat them. And Lord, I'm going to be committed to the people I have relationships with. As far as it's up to me, I'm going to do the right thing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.